the mass setup. Put the shame in the crew that wants to build the play the masters. Dominate the microphone, I speak the truth. The masters All right. Little new uh, intro song there, just a temporarily one-off. Uh, that is The Masters by DK and Ghetto Socks off their new project. Check it out. It's featuring CL Smooth and Elda Sensei. Everyone knows CL Smooth, Pete Rock, CL Smooth, Elda Sensei, Artifacts. So. we got people writing those songs now. I know, man. Yeah, that that was not Champ- a... Champagne Bobby's writing one for us right now, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> custom rap songs. Um, but yeah, but yeah. DK, welcome back. Ghetto what Socks, is it? The Season two episode. Oh my god, we've been no off the idea. mic for a little bit here. We've been off for a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Like we kind of stockpiled a few because I was going away. I was down in Mexico. Uh, you were away uh, out in BC, so we yeah. had to stockpile a few. And things of. You know, there's no shortage of news coming on. Everything went crazy as we left. And you just got back, like, literally... And two hours ago, I, yeah. I did the overnight flight Vancouver to Halifax and then <sighs> went home, showered, and came straight across. Because we got to record. We need the episode. Yeah, this is early morning Sunday edition, so the sun is glaring down from beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia. As always, man, can you smash the like button, subscribe, follow, all that stuff, especially... Um, helpful to us when you do those things. So we appreciate it. Um, this is going to be the Neil Andrino was right episode. <laughs> this, um, today's episode is going to be a little bit all over the place. It is. Um, yeah. we don't, we're not doing a set topic, I don't think. I think we have a bunch of things that came up that we want to discuss. Chandler has a lot of them listed out. Oh, yeah. Listen, we're going to talk about everything from Nova Scotia uh, backtracking on the Oda Province uh, non-resident uh, property tax increase. We're going to talk about Elon Musk buying Twitter because also we haven't touched on that. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about interest rates continuing to rise, and already we're seeing uh, the results of that here in the real estate market. So Huge stay change. tuned for all of that. But first and foremost, real quick, Neil, what is going on with you? Not too much. Like How's you BC? said, I uh, yeah, I could, BC was great. I just got back this morning. Um, it's an amazing place. It really is. It's it's a never lot. been. I, I know I, that you have to go out. I mean, hopefully somebody from BC listens. Um, they have an insane real estate market, like out of this world pricey. Um, but it's I can see why, because basically it's like Halifax. Honestly, it's a coastal city, but it, it's obviously grown quite large. And then they have the mountains within like 30 minutes. Like you can be downtown yeah. and you can be on like a mountain gondola in 30 minutes or a giant mountain hike in 30 minutes uh, from right downtown. And you're just surrounded by it. Um, so I think if you're into mm. the mountains and like the outdoor wreck, it, it makes it so cool. But yeah, so no, it was, it was nice. It, again, it was an eye opener to like drive an hour outside the city and then be like, oh, there's a for sale sign. Let me flash this up on realtor.ca and see how much it is. And it was nothing, nothing was ever below a million bucks. Like just yeah, no, that's crazy. no chance, even an hour away from downtown. I mean, we're getting to the point here where, um, you might drive an hour and still find a million dollar property, but it's cause you've like driven an hour to a really posh waterfront <laughs> south shore community but everything between can be pretty cheap yeah um you know it, it's a it, it's an interesting way that they've grown and how big they've grown and how expensive it is but even that's slowing down here too i've heard yeah. some recent numbers that in some of like the peripheral area like the uh, fraser valley or, or what have you that's down 10 to 15 percent in some of those suburban the markets. when the rate bounces or goes up on a number that large, the impact is even more insane, right? Like here, we're, yeah. we're freaking out. Our average payment's going to go up by 180 bucks. Their average payment might go up by 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, the thing that also blew my mind is just the top end, the top end of the spectrum. Like it never, it always, I never understand the one. Yeah, the one this is like this is gonna be like the one percent of the one percent. But there's there's yeah, condos there. Man. There's condos down there. Like our biggest condos here are what three and a half million bucks, I think, is like the biggest, most expensive condo in Yeah, Halifax. and that would sit and sit and sit. It's right? been sitting yeah. for ten years now. Yeah. And it still hasn't sold. Is that the Roy? No, uh Bishop's Landing. The Roy, I think they did one as well, but I don't think it was as big. The Roy one, they just they had two penthouses, one or sorry, Bishop's Landing had two penthouses. They've been really? on since they built it. Whatever no that was, ten years I didn't ago. Know that. They just sold the first one. Yeah. This like this quarter. Um, slide in and get that listing. Yeah. <laughs> it, stale. It, it's getting, <laughs> stale it, it's listing. a little stale. Like it's been like on market for 2,690 days. And you're like, oh, Jesus. I think we need to stage it. Get some <laughs> <Yeah>. new photos. <laughs> Coming it, in with the pitch. Do you know how those ones are? They're blank. There's nothing in them. Really? You have to oh. go outfit them and everything. It's like a blank canvas yeah. of so many square feet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so even some of the finishes aren't in, probably. Yeah, not, yeah it's, I think it's just, like, white boxed. It's drywall cool. boxed. Very cool. Uh, but you got to think, okay, I'm going to oh buy for God. three and a half mil and spend another mil and a half outfitting this thing, if not more. Um, but 
like I looked at, we were, uh, my girlfriend and I were just sitting there on the waterfront um, of Granville Island, if you've been there, just a little tiny island kind of outside the city, not outside the city, just on the other side of the water. It's got a bunch of markets and I think mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Anyways, we'll get some condo buildings, like, God, it'd be nice to live here. And then I'm like, all right, like, what do some of them look like? So I flip up the building right in front of us on the other side of the water. A regular unit's like probably, let's say, 700 square feet. Probably about a mil and a quarter sort of thing. And, like, they're very nicely finished. They're old buildings. Like, they're built in the 90s or the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're obviously been fully redone. But then, of course, one of them had the penthouse up for sale. And uh, $24 million. And this is not a new building. And Jeez. it's not, was by no means the most expensive listing. But there was just, like, that's the penthouse for one of these buildings. 20 24 f- mil. And I'm like, who in the hmm. frig is, like, that is insanity. $24 million. You can buy any house in Halifax for 24, like any house. The biggest yeah, house yeah. on the arm. You can buy whole buildings. Like there's yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. people are building 50 unit buildings for $24 million. Yeah. So it's like, Shade holy under. God. And this is one apartment that somebody's oh, going to live man. in. Anyways, so that, that kind of blew my mind. Um, but then the other, like on the, on the flip side of that, literally across from that $24 million condo, there is their like marina mm-hmm. and it's a bunch of houseboats. That people like full time live in, but they were legit houses. Like, yeah, man, I knew some people that lived in houseboat when I was in high school. Shout out to here? the Stadness Bros. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, is there a community for that stuff here? I don't know that I would say it's a community, but they were on kind of um, uh, the like Purcell's Cove Road side of the arm, and I think they had actually just kind of privately rented someone who had a marina, like let them stay there, like their um, dock. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I say like, someone told me that there's still some of them floating around here that people live in. Um, <coughs> well, there was someone who actually, man, what community was this? Some person had just like done it of their own accord, yeah, and just uh, moored uh, like in the middle of a lake, and residents of the neighborhood were like, "What the <laughs> hell?" Um, I can't remember. Is where there anything that was. against that? Man, I think there's tons of things against that. I don't think ah. you can just like start living <laughs> in, uh, you know, what would be, I guess, crown land, like Her Majesty's Lake. I don't, I don't know. There's got to be rules uh, against that. But I'm gonna f- I'm gonna send uh, Mark and the guys photos that I took when I was there. But like, yeah, these were like legit houses. Like when you think of a houseboat, I think of like a shipping container, basically. Mm-hmm. But these were like looked like normal two story homes that happened to be on the on, water. on the water. Yeah, and they had like all their little setups. It was funny because they had parking spots for like sailboats and stuff with them. Um, but oh, yeah, man. these are yachts then basically is what you're describing. Well, it was, it was, they were just like, I think they're flat platform barges that yeah, they built yeah. homes on. Wow. That's and then so they would cool. have just like stuff parked beside them and they would just be docked against the island. And I was like, this I wonder how insane. much something like that costs. I know I was trying to find it, but there was only, there's only like 20 of them there. So, it, yeah, it, yeah. but, um, anyways, yeah, that was cool. I have a couple of things I want to talk about. Maybe I'll wait till later just regarding, uh, rent controls, kind of what their development scene was looking like. Yeah. Um, I just, we biked around downtown a little bit and I just noticed Kind of some peculiar things based on the prices of stuff uh, and prices of homes and buildings. And so I just started digging into it. And it's it's something that I think is going to become, become applicable here just because we're in this time frame of like, I feel like we're in the like 70s, 80s era of Vancouver where they were just starting to have their growth because they had turned on all the immigration taps and everything was going nuts. And so then they were rapid fire throwing in rules and trying different mm-hmm. things and seeing mm-hmm. what stuck. Um, and so it was like a good case study for us to kind of look at and see what actually works. Yeah. And I mean, people want to talk about challenges renting. I know, uh, a, a good buddy of mine, when he went to rent out there, he had to pay an application fee just for the property manager to look at his application fee, like a non-refundable fee for them to look at his application, which I think was sort of almost a bribe. Um, <laughs> and it was not a small amount. We're talking like 1500 bucks. That's for insane. someone to look at your application to rent a unit that was then probably around like three grand. And this was five years ago or so. And like first month rent up front, last month rent up front, and then another massive deposit for um, damage for, for his dog. Uh-huh. Um, he has yeah. a seven pound poodle. So here, you know, you can't charge rent up front. You can't charge more than half a month security deposit. I don't think you're allowed to charge for application fees. I'm not sure on that, um, but very different out there. The half month security, I, like, I think that might be a bit excessive, and I think the app fee is kind of extortion. But like, I think a half month rent as security deposit is not nearly enough. No, when you think that the point. average rent for one bedroom is sixteen hundred bucks, that means on average you're getting eight hundred dollars. Yeah, literally one broken thing 
that they leave behind, you have now vanquished that 800 bucks. Yeah, yeah. And and saying nothing for the fact that if they've done that sort of damage, you're not going to be able to just turn the unit over and rent it. Like, they're not going to move out on the 30th and you can rent it on the 1st. You're going to have to have a month to do the repair. So now you're actually at a full month rent plus the damages, right? Like yeah, or they just yeah. bounce on their last month and then now you're you're in the red by a half month, not including... Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Way, it's not nearly enough. I think it should at least be one full month because um, yeah. I, I see what our turnover costs on every single unit. Even Like you said, just a small amount of like nicks and dirt. By the time we clean the unit, uh, do a light paint touch-up and do all those things, it's always at least 500 bucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. And again, oftentimes it's also a month of lost rent. Yeah. Um, the, the challenge is there's just not the uh, person power over the tenancy board to actually resolve disputes. Like if the security deposits were $1,500, you'd get a lot more disputes, yeah. and then um, they just don't have enough people there. So uh, other than uh, traveling to BC, what's what's new with you? Um, so I, on my actual development side of things and like in the rental properties, I have, I've been very on the fence, and I think we're going to dive into this in a little bit, I've been one foot in, one foot out, one foot in, one foot out. Because I've been, like I've been saying, I've, I've brought up a hundred times on here, I've been trying all these different pieces of land and the numbers aren't making a ton of sense. And again, it's, it's not making sense for me as a person trying to get in where I really need things to be a home run because if rates go wonky or the project goes wonky, there needs to be gap and room there to make sure that I don't go upside down. And I think there's a bit of a misconception that these new buildings are just massively profitable and they're not. Like no. it's slim, slim margins. Um, on very big numbers. And so I'm not in a position where if I miss the boat on it, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people like discredit, especially in Halifax, a lot of these developers are longtime families that have been doing it and they're not building these buildings to make a bunch of money right up front. They're using a bunch of money that they have from previous buildings to build these ones that are technically probably going to operate at a loss or like break even mm-hmm. for a lot of years before they actually make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and the reason that was doable for a while was because of historically low interest rates. And we're yeah. talk a lot about that uh, through the course of this episode because that is changing, and as a result, the market is changing, and what's that going to mean for the economy as a whole, but also housing? Um, because we're still very much in this situation where housing is not affordable for a lot of people, and then there's a shortage of rental properties and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, and so long story short, now I'm starting to look back at old product again. I have kind of a new wind for old product i i it's it's an unglamorous business everybody hates you in it um but as an investment i think it might make the most sense uh so i i think i'm going to start turning my again back to mm-hmm. old product it's it's gonna be hard i'm gonna have to kind of Your suck numbers it gonna up. be tighter that's yeah. the thing numbers are gonna be way tighter like i'll literally be paying double per door but i don't even think that those numbers are going to come down with rates going up i don't see the resale product coming down because the cost new is still so yeah so and, and, large, and people are going to have the same idea that you just had, which is you know what maybe I'm not going to do new. Maybe I need to double back down on the resale stuff. Yeah, um, and so there's going to be people doing that. Um, but yeah, so I would say outside of that, like really, I'm just it, for me, I'm in this changing back and forth market shift. I have some stuff I think I've mentioned in the past that I'm working on, um, just with some management software stuff that I'm trying to build out to yeah. help my team that eventually can help other people uh, as well as some other back-end products that I want to create. So those will be hopefully announced sometime later in this year. But really, I've, I've been spending most of my time on those and a little bit less on my projects and just focusing on getting what I have now done uh, so I can get it done, financed properly, and like operational because we have a lot of empty units. We have a lot of empty units, a lot of buildings on the go. I think we have about eight, seven or eight buildings under rental right now. So it's a lot of balls up in the air. Shout out to my property manager, Josh. He's killing it. He's doing everything. Um, but... It's, it's just a lot, and it's a lot to carry because there's no income. Yeah. Like it's, we, yeah. He gave me my, my rent spreadsheet for this year, and every month the rent's gone down by a ton. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's going on? But it's because we're emptying all the units out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a similar situation. I, um, uh, I closed on um, an Airbnb. It's a four-unit Airbnb in the South Shore that long-term I'm going to redevelop into a series of townhouses. Nothing too crazy, like not a huge development project, but something that can be manageable and, and has now gotten a lot more interesting because it can be handled pretty easily. Yeah. Um, you know, if you build five townhouses, that's much more manageable than building a six-story concrete building. Yeah. Um, so we'll close on that, and, and that'll be exciting because I've never done the Airbnb model before, and of course it's that time of year where that's starting to ramp up, so I'm going to get that going. Um, definitely having to rerun numbers on the fly for the build. And I don't know how that's going to look or, or even what I'm going to do exactly because 
in the you know last year, even in the last six months, the change in the numbers has been huge. Yeah, the numbers in terms of making the project actually float, the cost of construction, but also the required down payment amount. Because in order to keep it viable, as rates go up, you have to put more and more and more money down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it went from all right, there's some hundreds of thousands to come out of pocket because I've got a lot of equity already invested in it. But how much on top of like, okay, you know, we just need another 400. Okay, we just need another 700. Now it's going to be like, all right, we just need another million and a half. That's not um, insignificant amount on top of what's already invested in the project. And then it's like, well, why am I having to extend that amount? Well, because the numbers on it are just getting worse and worse. Labor um, rates are going up. Material costs are exploding. And the rate. And the rate. then the interest rate. Yeah. Exactly. And when you're multiplying it by $30 million, it gets yeah. to be... Like an extra million bucks, like yeah. easily. Yeah. So kind of reevaluating that. Uh, I've got nine units under renovation right now, which is, you know, similar to your point. It's like, man, that's nine units that aren't bringing in revenue right now, which call it conservatively, you know, even at the the previous low rents, it was like 6500 bucks a month. In terms of what they're going to be market rent-wise, like, oh, that's 12 grand, 14 grand a month that's just not coming in right now um, because we're working through those renovations. So um, I've kind of refocused on doing that as quickly as possible. But the funny thing is, well, you're right over there. You look. I just had a moment. I have 45 empty units or something like that, and they've been empty for a bit. I'm like, yeah, that's like $70,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very sad moment. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of been like, all right, you know, maybe I need to really – expedite those the reality though is the point is to finish those to refinance the project mm-hmm. by the time it's done the refinance will be up two and a half percent probably on rate no maybe not that much but two percent on rate the other underlying thing yeah. that hasn't been talked about yet that i'm going to throw out there on top of all of this as rates climb and they're expected to climb cap rates follow Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. if on this is like a, it's like a quadruple double down. It's like building costs is up, material costs is up, unit cost to buy is up, um, and then your interest on your takeout is going to be up. Mm-hmm. Additionally, when your cap is up, your value is going to be down, so mm-hmm. you can take out less. Yeah. It's, it's a double whammy. And this is... Yeah, like, yeah. It's been going the other way for the last five years where everything's been getting better and better. It's like, oh, rents went up, rates went down, caps went down. I can borrow more and more and more. I can keep going, and it causes this big boom. But now it's flipped the switch, and it's going the opposite, and they're converging now where you have both of them coming together, so it closes even faster. Well, here's like a really simple example. Like say uh, the bank on your refinance gets just a little little stingier, and they only go 70-30 rather than 75-25. Just, just say they're feeling a little bit more cautious mm-hmm. with everything. So that 5% on, you know, a $2 million project is pretty significant in its own, right? There's 100 grand. 100 grand. Right? So there's 100 grand you're not getting back to, to pay back the renovations. But maybe um, your ability to carry it um, contracts the value of the whole, whole project, like uh, cap rate or just actually your borrowing ability. So mm-hmm. maybe there's another 5% that peels off that. So now that's $200,000 less that you can get on that refinance. Um, and again, people think the margins are huge. They are not. Um, so that's a really easy example of how in six months, the, the refinance plan of building could be down 200 grand. Exactly. Yeah. We're going, we're going, we were razor thin. We were thin to begin with. And now we're going razor, razor thin. And this is what you see in most of the big cities. It gets to the point as terrible as it, it ends up locking out a lot of people because now it gets to a point where it's almost impossible to get through and grow on your own. You end up having to do a lot of partnerships and things like that. That's what you see in Ontario. The JV partnership is what everyone does. Also, I mean, this is hyper-local to our, our market here, but people might have seen uh, in all Nova Scotia, which if you're not subscribed to all Nova Scotia, I don't know what you're doing. If you're here locally, you got to subscribe to all Nova Scotia. Use Chandler's code at T-Chan to get <laughs> yeah, 10% or you can off just share the first like three months. Net- Netflix account. We can just all <laughs> jump on there. But no, you can actually share accounts with people for a really good rate. Anyway, subscribe to all Nova Scotia. But regardless... Killam just kind of came out of nowhere and said, hey, we're putting a lot of our development on the back burner. We're going to go after resale stock. We're going to focus on what we have. They also sort of said, and frankly, 
we think there's going to be some small people that are screwed and we're going to gobble <laughs> them up. They didn't say it in those words. But that's kind of what they said. That is what they said. Um, they're like, we see all of you guys. What did they call them? They called them... Um, Mom and Bob shops? No, they said something like, oh, they had a really cute term for basically non-institutional landlords. Non-REIT, non-major player. And said... And and they said broke ass fools. Yeah, <laughs> said we think some people are going to get in a bind. They're going to get a bind on development sites. They're going to get a bind on half built projects. What they call them? Smaller merchants. Smaller merchant merchant getting, getting landlords. Squeezed. Yeah, merchant landlords. Smaller merchant <laughs> landlords getting squeezed. Um, it's like Walmart just like coming around to scoop yeah, up yeah. all the stores. So you and I balked at some of the prices people were were uh, buying properties for both yep. land. And um, actual resale product. Yep. And um, some of this wouldn't even, you know, interest them regardless. They're that big. But, yeah, they may, they're looking around and saying, all right, we've got boatloads of cash and we can fundraise at any point we want. Yep. Um, we've just nixed a couple projects because we don't think they're viable and we have limitless money. Yep. So what about these other people who are looking at projects and don't have limitless money? Maybe all of a sudden they're going to say... I'm going to get out from underneath this. I'm going to sell it. And Killam's going to be there saying, we'll happily take on what you can no longer At carry. Discount. Um, so there's that sentiment out there in the market right now, which again, and this is, there's so much going on right now. Um, but so many of these circumstances we talked about for a long time are out there that can really crush the mid-level mom and pop, small merchant, whatever you want to call them, landlords. And a lot of the public, the renting public says, yeah, screw them anyway, blah, blah, blah. Well, realize all they get replaced with is a bigger, faceless, you know, institutional landlord that will care about you even less. So um, all of these things are heavily weighted to um, big, major institutional landlords at the expense of these smaller landlords. We've been saying that from the jump. And here's just another thing coming down the pipeline that is going to further exacerbate that. Um, so much going on, man. So much going <laughs> Jay, on. Jay, a little stress. No, but man. Yeah. Like, so this is why I said this is the Neil Andrina was right mm-hmm. episode yeah. because there is a recession coming. We are at the peak of the market. I'm going to officially call it right here, right now. We are at the peak of the market. Um, and, and when we're at the peak of the housing market, that means we are at the peak of the economy. And why I say that with confidence is because the housing industry is 20% of our economy. So yeah. if 20% of your economy peaks out, uh, and then all indications are that it's going to um, go in sort of some sort of decline, pullback, correction, whatever you want to call it, um, that in itself is enough to tip the whole economy. But then when you also look at, well, why is that happening and and you know, how, how that's going to relate to other parts of the economy, it is clear to see that we are at the peak of the economy and it is going to be downhill from here. Yep. That's a major statement. We're going to unpack it, but you've been calling this for a while. I've been screaming this for a little while. And it's like I was saying, when we were just sitting here when we got in is I've just been running my Excel spreadsheet. It didn't take anything too crazy. And I, I just couldn't see how I could be making money out of this. And then when things started kind of going, I was like, something's got to give. And so it was like the, the telltale signs. Okay, so we had COVID, and then they printed a ton of money. And then once you print a ton of money, you're going to get a ton of inflation. When you get a ton of inflation, interest rates are going to follow. And yeah. ev- everything gets impacted by inf- interest rates. It's not just the housing. Mm-hmm. It's the other thing. It's like, like you said, yes. housing is 20%, which is enormous. And like that's why I said when we were walking around Vancouver. I was like, man, everybody's got luxury cars. All the stores are super expensive. Everything costs a ton of money. And everyone's in there spending money like insane. And I'm like... All these people are spending money because they feel comfortable because they've made so much money on their real estate. And so it drives everything. And so then the we're seeing here now, too. It's like everyone's making a ton of money and there's a ton of luxury cars showing up. There's a ton of fancier restaurants and more fancy clothes. And it's because people make money on their assets and they end up spending it on their lifestyle. Yeah. So, yeah, when the 20 percent of housing slows down, everything's going to follow because the spending in all those other industries is going to go down as well as rates are going to impact all those businesses because all those businesses operate on debt. Yeah, and so all the central banks around the world are kind of attacking asset wealth and saying we've got to bring down asset wealth Mm -hmm. because, and this is one of the headings I was going to throw at you, which was that in the month of February, um, Canadians took out $2 billion in HELOCs in the month of February. 
Yeah. See, like that's and this is this is the one that concerns me. Is Which is the highest since two thousand twelve. Highest for one month since two thousand twelve, and it's the shortest month of the year. Right, we could have squeezed in a little bit more in there. If there was a full month. Four percent. Yeah. So two billion dollars in HELOCs. That means, and this was in February, which is you know now looking at the numbers, February appears to have been like the the real height of the frenzy. Not necessarily the height of the prices because things do lag a little bit, uh, but the height of the the frenzy. Um, so people were doing refinances there, and they refinanced their homes via HELOCs to the tune of two billion dollars. And this is how um, asset wealth kind of. The, the inflationary pressure can come because people's assets go up, so they refinance, they take that money, that's more money that enters the economy, which then they can further spend on other things, be it a yacht, be it something silly, or just out there in the world. And this is how inflation kind of bubbles and expands, driven by asset wealth. And what's everyone's biggest asset wealth? It's their home. Yeah. So um, that's a, one of the headings that I wanted to throw at you because it shows how people dipped into that equity, refinanced. The other interesting thing about it is a lot of those HELOCs are variable rate. They're tied to the bank rate. So yeah. now that variable rate, or, or th- those HELOCs just got quite expensive um, relative to what people were expecting. And people are going to co- go out there and they're going to say, oh, well, you should have seen it coming. You know, not all investments are secure investments, blah, blah, blah. In 2020, when the pandemic started, I think it was in June, the Bank of Canada came out and said, we are going to keep rates low. In fact, they said they were going to keep rates low until the end of 2023. Which signaled to everyone out there, like, okay, if I'm an investor, if I'm a you know, wannabe homeowner, if, I, if I'm looking to expand my business, um, yes, we're in a pandemic here, but the Bank of Canada just told me that for the next four years, effectively, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, I am safe. They're going to keep rates low. And low at the time was 0 to 0.25. Yeah. Um, since then, they just did a bump of 50 basis points, which was the largest increase in 20 years. And... In June, they've already hinted that they're going to do another do rate again. increase of another 50 basis points. Yeah. They're this, wilding out. They're, they're really pushing it, right? Like, th- that, yeah. that is quite aggressive. Uh, we've already seen the ramifications of that in the housing market. Like, what are you seeing out there? Like, it, it's slowing down. I'm just going to put this before I answer that. Conspiracy, Neil. I'm just like, some of this <sighs> stuff, I swear to God, is manufactured, like... I'm not even just saying COVID as like as manufactured, but there's some weird stuff that goes on. All right, the let's, way, hear it. let's hear it. Well, it's just, it's funny how it all went down and the way they handled it with the lockdowns, I think. Uh, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm against the lockdowns or I'm against vaccines or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just, some of the way the policies are put through and the way they handled it and like how long they dragged things on for in certain periods to really have a certain amount of economic impact to force more money into the economy through this. Like, it's like, there's... It goes deep. There's like, well, here let, let, let's go a little bit deeper. Uh, we kind of already touched on something of during these scenarios, the rich get richer and and everyone else gets pulled back down a little bit. Yeah, we talk like the institutional landlords versus the small mom and pop merchant yep. landlords is just one example. Yeah. Um, a bigger one is so when they rolled that out at the start of the pandemic, you and I were both like, man, anyone who has money, this is the time. Yeah. Right. You can make so much money. At, at this opportunity and a lot of people really did um and you know you close the small shops but allow amazon to run wild and all of these things happen now you've got a scenario where as like the fed raises rates um in the states and their situation is worse than us so we are in a global economy now and a lot of countries are going to really suffer uh, as their currency drops relative to the American currency. There's also going to be an outflux from a lot of smaller developing countries, developing markets, to the safety and security of the U.S. dollar, which is further going to depreciate some of these currencies uh, in these developing markets who all owe money to the U.S., right? So long-term, the actual, you know, U.S. and Canada, we will be able to ride this out, but some of these smaller market countries that borrowed heavily from the U.S. and are now going to have to pay back at higher interest rates with a rapidly declining local currency are going to be further indebted to the U.S. through this process. Bigger picture, though. I mean, oh, man, there's so much moving stuff going on here. If we want to go this, okay, if we're going down this path, I don't know if anyone follows or pays attention to the world order. Uh, The New World Order, uh, WCW? Yes. (laughs) The New World Order, I would, like... Everything lines up right now 
with what's going on and the fact that this all comes out of China too, like legitimately, I'm not just saying this, like I'm like going crazy. It's very real that over the next 20, 30, 40 years, you can see a new world order taking place through kind of like what's starting now and rolling through. Like China's been having this rapid growth, the states haven't. And now there's places that are shifting off to not using the US dollar as their currency of choice anymore, the, the backing dollar, the one they're going to borrow against. Um, and so as that happens on top of everything else going on and what's happening here with the inflationary pressures and having to raise interest rates, like it was just saying, and everyone owing us owing the money to the states, there is an opportunity here, I think, for things to start to change around. Unfortunately, with world order changes, often a lot of war. Uh, and so that might also come to come to place. But that's like my my big conspiracy. With what? China at the head is what you're saying? China becoming the head. Right, right now, the states are the head. I, I mean, the Chinese economy is not doing great right now either. So, uh, but the thing about China is you never know what they're up to over there. <laughs> like, because they're very Nothing's secretive. legit. Nothing's um, legit. But they have a, I was thinking about this the other day, they have a zero COVID policy, effectively. Yeah. Right? Like, they're shooting for zero cases. Yeah. We've kind of moved on from that. My whole thing is like, damn, what do they know that we don't? Right? Like, why are they getting towards zero cases? I said a whole um, lot of nothing right now. I just said a couple things to throw it out there, and people listening and be like, he just didn't address anything specifically. I'm kind of avoiding it. Maybe we'll do an episode on New World Order and what it means and what could actually take place. Oh, man. But I think there's some crazy stuff happening. To bring this all back into, like, normal yeah. levels, um, to what your question was, is what am I seeing out there? Yeah, I'm with you. Housing market is definitely peaking out, depending on what it is. If you still have good product, your house is still going to sell for a lot of money. Because, totally. to be honest with you, Good product homes, a lot of times the buyers are not using much money borrowed to do it. And there's still demand for that stuff. And there's still demand and the cities are still growing, but it's not going to be where it was where people are just willy-nilly buying all over the place like crazy. Um, On the rental stock side, I think we're going to still see strong demand. Development land, I think, is going to still be bonkers because we're going to have a massive pinch there. The people that are in place and the current developers are going to be still in a place to be able to develop and build and make money off of it. Um... And I want to talk about this because now we've kind of been alluding to it. And this is kind of what I saw in Vancouver. And this is what I think is going to happen here. And I've talked about it a few times before based on like running numbers. But condos, I think condos are going to take over the market pretty much across Canada. They already are in a lot of places, um, Ontario specifically and BC. Like they're very, very prevalent. There's a fair number of them in Alberta now too. The culture there is to own homes, but the average income there is also quite high. So a lot of people are Mm -hmm. able to own homes. Um, but condos are making sense for the reason that with rent controls over time, the buildings deteriorate. And this is, this came, I noticed this when I'm biking around downtown Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So that building, it's a penthouse is $25 million. It's a beautiful building. It's a 40 year old building, but it still looks great. The lobby's beautiful. Yeah. It has all the amenities, but right next to it, there is a six or eight story concrete building that looks dilapidated. Yeah. Like the fences are falling it's a over. The other ones. It's got garages on the back. Yeah. The windows are mangled. And it just looks gross. And I'm like, what? Like we're right downtown, right next door. The unit the units start at a million bucks. Yeah. And the building's great and it's 40 years old. And it's because it's a rental and it's had they have rent control since the 70s. So there was just no money to maintain that building. So mm-hmm. it's just run on this scroungy style. And the average rent there for a one bedroom is 2200 bucks and it's 3000 for a two bedroom. So they're renting for a ton, mm-hmm. but there's still not enough money to actually maintain the buildings. And everyone's going to say, I know they're just gouging. They're just pulling up landlords agree. They just want to put any money into the buildings, but no, there's not a ton of money in these buildings. Like once you factor yeah. in everything that has to be done, that's why like everyone freaks out. They're like, I own a condo. I pay $20 million. Plus I pay for $10,000 a month in condo fees. Like that's what those condo fees, there's no one making a margin or profit on those. Those are literally just to run the building. Yeah. It's not like there's a, con- everyone's like, oh, the condo corp's making a bunch of money. Yeah. You are the condo corp. You yeah. own the condo corp just like everyone else in your building does, and you pay per square foot. It's not like a randomly assigned number. It's not like, oh, he's richer because he owns a penthouse, so he gets a bunch more. No, he has 4,000 square feet. He pays a relative amount to you if you have 1,000 square feet. Yeah. I mean, people who own the buildings understand that analogy, and people who don't own the buildings like don't understand how much money goes into the upkeep of them. I'm hoping we can, like, We'll make a shorter clip out of this, and hopefully we'll put this on the pod as well because I have some charts here just showing what took place. But they rent control got put in the mid-1970s. That's when they were having their boom and like kind of a shortage because they were having a massive immigration push. The chart will show literally apartment starts from there to 20... I think the study was done in 2010. Shrink, shrink to just absolutely negative. Like, yeah. they did not build apartments at all. It made no sense. 
And condo construction absolutely exploded, which ended up just pushing prices way, way, way further. Yeah. The other reason that, that it's the, the, the switch goes from apartment building to condo construction is because on the developer side, and this is what we're facing right now, it's like, all right, it's going to be $350,000 to build that rental unit, and it is worth $350,000 when you're done, best case scenario. So that is a break-even endeavor, and you make no money on it. But you can sell it for 500 k as a condo. But given the demand, you can sell it for 500 k So your bank's going to like financing it a lot more. It's going to make a lot more sense, viability-wise, for you to you know do the project. So that's why things switch over to condos. And if an investor market. buys their 500 k instead of renting it for 1800 they have to rent for $3,000 a month. Yeah, exactly. The the other thing, like, we've talked about this a bit, and, like, I don't want to just bitch, basically, about how this is not going to be possible and these rules make no sense. Rent control is a bad rule. It's like every single economist agrees. Rent control does nothing for anyone. Um, it just makes it harder to actually build yeah. rental stock. Yeah. But they also were talking about how in BC, like, they had done tax benefits, so, like, deferred taxes on the buildings, and other little projects like that that the government offered to do with it. And right now we're getting this CMHC and we're talking about how great it is and it's going to help with construction booms. But now the rates are up and it's going to be a moot point. Well, that, but my thing was, and this is what I said, and this is why I was so horny to buy land today, because I'm like, the second this happens, all that happens is the land values go up. So to, to reference yeah, a little better, yeah, yeah. because people are just saying that and this, but CMHC now said they're, they're potentially, or they're going to offer 95% construction loans yeah and, and 50 like, year amps this yeah. is amazing it's going to make things so much easier think okay a 10 million dollar building i only need to do 500k down and i can put the 9.5 with cmhc it's a 50 year am like good rates da, 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 on and on and on sounds amazing right if you own the land yeah but all this meant is all the current land that's out there skyrocketed just skyrocketed in value yeah so these these incentives that they're creating don't actually make it any easier for someone to get into development doesn't make it any easier to build if you're getting into it now, mm-hmm. it only aids you if you already own the land mm-hmm. and you're going to do it. So it only aids the people that are already in place. It's the same stuff. Like they, they're not doing it in a proper way. This study, I was actually kind of interesting. We I, like y'all sent it to you to read. Um, but they said the three things that they came up with to improve off of it was, sorry, it was done by um, rental BC. That's like their, their rental uh, agency thing over there. I guess like it's almost like a union. What would that be called? It's like basically their know. group. Like we have one here in Halifax. Okay. Yeah. Like a, yeah, we have iPods that sort of similar to that. Yeah, yeah, similar to that. So they represent the landlords. Anyways, there are three things they came up with was to remove rent control if it's going to be maintained as a rental. Um, provide zoning incentives for rentals over condos. So if you buy a piece of land, you can put up 30 units as a condo, but you can put up 60 as an apartment, mm. and you can do less parking um, and less amenity spaces and things like that because a lot of times they don't get used in rentals. Um, and then number three, which is one we've always talked about, is removing tax, sales tax, HST, GST off of rental housing. Because that's just purely boiling down to the consumer. That tax, yeah. everyone's... Oh, it just gets passed along. Here, that's 15% of your building costs. So here's why... Um, I'm trying to think of what to tackle first. Let's just take a little digression because I took some heat or there was a lot of heat around the removal of this non-resident Oda Province... Um, property tax increase for people who own effectively second properties here in Nova Scotia. So these are for individuals who live in another province, but they have a, a property they own in Nova Scotia um, that they're not renting to a Nova Scotian. So that means they come there seasonally or they Airbnb it or, or, or something to that effect. And the provincial government was going to levy a 2% property tax on that across the board. Mm-hmm. Um which would in some jurisdictions increase property tax by about 180%. It sounded good to people out there who didn't understand the legislation because it sounded like, yeah, this is a tax on people from Ontario or BC coming here and driving up our property prices. Yeah, they come here with endless boats of money. Yeah, that was a thought. But if you read the legislation, uh, it clearly said that if those people are actually moving here, they're exempt from this tax. Yeah. So it wasn't going to have any implications on this supposed scary other who was coming here from these markets to to buy up our housing here in Halifax and drive the cost to the roof. Mm-hmm. Wasn't going to address that. Um, but a lot of people naively or ignorantly thought that was what it was doing. What it was actually targeting were people who, you know, have a cottage in a rural area or, yeah, maybe they just spend their summers in a, you know, million-dollar place down in Chester, um, which is a very tiny percentage of people um, that have 
almost no bearing whatsoever on housing prices, let alone the the housing crisis here in Halifax area, because this doesn't really apply to people in, in Halifax. Yeah. What it was going to do is strongly discourage those people from continuing to come to Nova Scotia. And again, they're going to the Valley, they're going to the South Shore, they're going to Cape Breton. Breton, they're going to these areas that rely heavily, heavily on what is the tourist industry. And while these people are not technically tourists because they own property uh, there, they're effectively tourists. They come there, all they do is spend money in the local economy. They don't, you know, uh, burden the healthcare system. They don't burden the school system. They don't burden They're direct much cash injections for They're us. Direct cash injections, who, by the way, already pay property tax, yeah. <laughs> right? So all it was going to do is discourage those people from coming there anymore. And there's this perception now that the government said, oh, yeah, maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, so the government decided not to go forward with that property tax increase. And, of course, everyone online is whining and saying, oh, this is just the government catering to a bunch of rich people. Um, and blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, the lobbying against this tax increase was predominantly driven by local residents of those towns. People who, said, who own all the little businesses. Yes. People who, like, yeah. survive off of that. They're like, no, no, we want those people to continue to come here. What are you doing? All it was going to do, it was going to take millions of dollars out of those local economies and then redirect, redirect a smaller amount in the form of property tax to the government. This. And this blows my mind that people could think that was a better solution and that somehow that would impact housing in Halifax. The, the disconnect there, like it's it, not, not to cut you off, but it blows my mind how angry people can be online while simultaneously having no idea what they're talking about. It's just a headline. Like we said, it was a political game <sighs> move and it's a headline that they designed to get people like, oh, that's they got it because it's all these foreign people buying it. We've talked about it. Only one to two percent of houses were ever purchased from people outside of the city, and those are people moving here. Like, why would we punish other Canadians to move to another Canadian city? Even why would we punish people moving from out of country? But like, really within our country, I don't get it. But my, I just like you, to everything you're saying. They're like, and it's going to give us whatever it was, sixty-eight million dollars in tax revenue is what we've estimated. I'm like, but you're going to lose, you're going to lose, like you're saying, from all the money that they spend here and all the money that they invest otherwise, and yeah. all the people that are just not going to come anymore, you're going to lose all of that money. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make, it made no sense at all. I think they kind of did it too because you see Ontario and BC having them. Their percentages of people moving there are way, way, way higher, and they have a little bit different market again where there's a lot of speculative buyers that are just flipping stuff to do uh, it. Oh, yeah, they, they, they flat out have this issue where people with no connection to the province whatsoever and no intent to visit there, buy property to hoard money and just sit it vacant. Yeah. That's not what we have here. Yeah. Right? And it's it's really frustrating because when people get so angry about something they don't understand, it's like, oh, you've got all this misdirected rage um, that you could be channeling towards something actually good. Like, I believe that we have a lot of work to do on our housing here. Um, but that was not the angle to take because there was, it was going to have no connection to the major markets that are getting very expensive is going to have no relation whatsoever to creation of, of more housing stock. It just wasn't. But take the take the tax revenue and put it towards tourism Nova Scotia to try and re-encourage people to come back. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. The the um the other funny thing is I'll, I'll, give, I'll give them credit though for for going back on yeah, it totally and removing man. it. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Huge you made huge mistake. credit to that. You walk it back. Exactly. The message was unfortunately sent to the rest of the country that, yeah, we kind of don't want you here. Like, you yeah. know, it was an unfortunate message, but they, they did walk it back. They did, you know, um, common sense uh, rationality did prevail. So that that's great. And, you know, tip your hat to anyone who realizes they've made a mistake and, and walks it back. Yeah. Um, my thing, too, is we've been paying taxes, you know, for years in order to address housing. And they've done nothing. I know. I and know. now... They're saying all we need is a little more tax money and then we'll fix it. <laughs> Why do we believe them? Like, I don't yeah. like people are so. Um, the easiest way to get a tax passed is tell people it's on their enemy, right? Like, so this is what they do when they pass a tax. They say, yeah. uh, these people over here are your enemy. Yeah. Because they're like come from a ways. And yeah. even worse than that, they got money. They're rich. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and people who otherwise like don't want taxes are like, yeah, tax those mothers. Yeah. <laughs> right. So all of a sudden, Everyone is, um, you know, blindly goes along with a government tax. And all this was going to do was put more money uh, to the government and less money to local businesses. And how people could look at that and be so 
uh, ardently in favor of it online, really, it depresses me because um, it shows like how uninformed the voting public is and how a lack of understanding of economics and fiscal policy and, and you know, the real estate market. And it, it makes me feel like we're doomed because people are going to go based on headlines and not realize the implications. So that leads me to my next point. And we are really just all over the map here today. Thanks for following along. Those of you who are struggling Got to me do thinking, but yeah. So the big thing right now is everyone like, yeah, reset. Right? People are like, yeah, that's right. I want this housing market to crash. I want to be really clear. Let's revisit um, the fact that the housing industry is 20% of our national economy, effectively. 20% it's of GDP. It, it's 20% of, yeah. of our economy. Um, just uh, hoping that that collapses is a very dangerous thing to wish upon people because that will trickle through. The, the reverberations of that will be devastating. You're going to feel it. It'll be devastating. Um, but then let's also look at the fact that, as we all know, it's like, yeah, you own your house, but the bank also kind of owns your house. Mm-hmm. So you've got the five major banks or whatever it is across country. The bulk of their value and their assets are that. that that's the real estate. So they're going to be aggressively protective of their bottom line. And if that starts to suffer, they're just going to contract credit. Yeah. Right. So anyone's ability to borrow, um, to expand their business, to go out there and, and, and spend in the economy, that is going to be really, really hurt as well. Yep. So if you're out there screaming for this reset because you think it's going to make your life better, maybe bring your rent down, maybe get you a home. No, like you're going to be unemployed. Right. Like if we go through this crash and this is why we're at the peak, because this is another heading I was going to throw at you. Um, Nova Scotia's unemployment rate is at 6%, uh, which is a new all-time low. And this reflects that we are at the peak. Okay, if we're going to talk hyper-local, I think it's different for Halifax. And I think we are at the peak in a lot of ways, but I also think Halifax is different. And this is my other thing of, like, we're in the business of taking on people. That's how Canada's always survived and pushed Mm -hmm. through everything. And so we are, and... I'm with you, 100%. Again, people are basically being a little bit naive to the fact that, yeah, if housing market goes down, it's going to impact everything. It doesn't matter what business you're involved in, in some way or format, it feeds that. Or like you're saying, the credit for those different things are going to pull back. When rates go up, it's for all the businesses. Exactly. Too. This it's, is the other thing. Yeah, it's not just the mortgage rates that are increasing. It's your employer who just took out a bunch of debt over the last three years. Business debt, consumer yeah. debt. They're going to lay you off. Yeah. They're right? gonna, they, have, they have to cut costs somewhere. And everything is going to cost more, and there's going to be less people to spend money. Like it's a compounding problem. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Sorry, with Nova Scotia hyper locally, where there's so much immigration, I think it's going to power through a lot of things in the sense of like there's still going to be a demand for housing and yep. rental stock <clears throat> due to the fact that there's just so many people. So even though it costs more to do it, I'm yep. basically what's going to happen is the consumer's just going to spend that much more. That's all it's really going to boil it to be is the consumer's going to spend that much more to do it. And then there's just going to be so much more demand. Like we're having a lot of companies that are moving here and there's a lot of government incentives for companies to come here, like tax benefits and things like that, that are going to keep to driving that move and that suck up of people. And as these new areas, like, okay, now Enfield's blowing up. They're going to have all the new stores and everything out there. And they're going to have a whole new district of commercial that they need to fill with people to work uh, to service that area. And so there's, I think that's going to keep going on here hyper-locally just simply on the immigration fact. But again, it's kind of a double-edged sword because eventually the amount of people coming here will outweigh the number of jobs being created mm-hmm. and we'll start seeing that, it, that unemployment number creep back up. Yeah, I'm not saying like this is going to be a peak followed by a collapse. This is that peak that we were calling for a while, right? Yeah. Like we're going to crescent out and we're going to level off. I think that is happening. It's going to continue to happen. Also... The projects that are already started, those are going to come through and go to fruition. Kill them and buy them and finish them. Yeah, like (laughs) (laughs) the, you know, the contracts that were signed and the employees that were brought in during a robust period of time where you couldn't find anyone and everyone's getting headhunted, those are still going to go great for a period of time. There is a lag. There's a lag even the way the data is reported. Like we're still getting numbers coming in like prices all-time high, prices all-time high, um, you know, unemployment all-time low. But these things lag. And... You know, we're about to have another 50 basis points increase, um, which means all the employers, all the, you know, corporate borrowers are going to feel the pinch. Um, it's going to take six months, 12 months to happen. 
but it's going to be a significant issue. Like there's no other way to call it. Like we're going to create a recession and this is kind of the goal, right? The goal is to, um, you know, really slow things down, but they are being quite heavy handed with it. And if you go back, we've been doing this now for a year and a half. How many times do we say they probably should in- raise interest rates, but they can't do it because everyone just took on bad debt and we're still in the pandemic. And it's like, came, oh, they didn't raise interest rates again. They probably should because there's all this inflation. And now after the fact, they're hitting it with a sledgehammer as opposed to like slowly tweaking the dials all the way through. There's the other like kind of elephant in the room that just adds on to this. It's just like more fuel for the fire that we haven't discussed that's causing a bunch more shit. And it's one that isn't like something that cannot be solved and won't end up correcting itself over time, even though it sounds like it's impossible to. And that's the logistical issues that we're facing that is creating artificial inflation. And that is, well, because there's a shortage of stuff, the prices are shot up. It's uh, The prices of cars are up 30%. It's not because the cost of the car costs 30% more. It's simply because it's, all the shipping is behind on everything and all the products are like being poorly shipped. And so now mm-hmm. it takes two months to get a car. So the one that's sitting on the lot, instead of it selling for twenty nine nine, it's selling for thirty five. And I'm so you're paying an artificial markup, not because a car actually costs any more or costs any more to build. It already has that inflation in that twenty nine nine price. It used to be twenty eight nine last year, it's twenty nine nine. That company's already put in their inflation. You're now paying an extra five K for nothing. Like that money's going yeah. to nothing of any actual value. That's simply because there's logistical issues in that market. And that's not going to, everyone's like, there's no way it's going to correct itself because like our logistics are too insane. What's going to allow it to correct itself is when consumer demand shits the bed. When it, when it stops and they don't need to be shipping stuff and there's a hundred ships sitting idle, then the systems will get back into place and it'll all end up getting corrected, I believe. But that's the one that really concerns me is it's all artificial price. Yeah, what you're saying is that the real issue this whole time has been a supply issue, not a demand issue, and I totally agree. It's not all like all of a sudden people woke up and they were like, oh, like we just demand more housing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's more than a, like there, there was an element of increased demand, like immigration came here, so there's more people. Yeah. But there were also areas that they didn't have a net increase in people and still the housing market increased. So mm-hmm. the question is why? If there's no actual shift in demand, why is price increase? It's because there was a shortage of supply. So we're doing all these really heavy-handed things to shoot aggregate demand, right? However, it's not the issue. The <laughs> issue is more on the supply side. Yeah. So now you're going to stifle an economy and realize that's going to hurt housing starts. It's going to hurt rental stock. Um, and it's going to further collapse supply because you were talking about how CMHC wrote a, rolled out all these great programs to really encourage housing stock because the only way to fix this is supply, supply, supply. Unfortunately, the right hand did not talk to the left hand, the left hand being the Bank of Canada, who's like, yeah, unfortunately, now we have to jack rates to the roof. So all those programs that you rolled out, even as great as they are, now still don't carry water uh, at these new interest rates. So all of those housing, those you know rental stock starts are going to stop. So... You know, again, if you think that this um, correction and this hammering of the market is going to be beneficial to, um, you know, the first-time consumer or the rental consumer, it's not. It's it's really not going to benefit anyone. You know, it'll benefit some people, I think, in a small, short term, and they might not even realize the impact that it has on them in the long term. But it'll impact some people, like when you have like a very stable job, you're a working couple, you have very stable jobs. Realistically, your job's not going to go away. Let's say you both work for the government. Your job's not going to go away during a recession. Then the house, the single-family home you're going to buy, might be there might be an opportunity where you don't have to go into bidding war or you might be able to beat the price up a little bit and feel like you got a deal, even though technically you're still going to... I guarantee you'll still be paying more than you would have paid two years ago. Yeah. But it'll yeah. be a slight deal compared to maybe what someone just paid six or eight weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and so you'll get that and you'll be able to kind of go through that process and then eventually maybe it'll, it'll start to go back up in price. And so you'll feel like... You're, you're getting a deal and this was totally worth it and it all made sense. But the other thing is everything you do, like you're saying, is going to be impacted by it. And so any other opportunities you might have in your life, other investments, if you have anything in stocks or any sort of mutual funds or even the pension plans that you're going to end up receiving money from, all of those are going to take a negative impact. So in the short, immediate feel in that moment, you're going to think you're winning. But realistically, this impacts all of us negatively yeah and you may be like yeah i got it for fifteen thousand dollars less than the person six weeks ago but you're paying an interest rate that's one one and a half points higher yeah and over the next 25 right? years you'll pay an extra hundred thousand yeah. bucks they're gonna make out better than you right yeah um so 
it's it's complicated times. I do feel that, um, you know, we're in a really good position here, hyper locally. Um, I don't feel that there's going to be a major like twenty percent. 30% pullback in housing, not at all. Like we sort of said from the jump, I think this year had another 5 or 10% in us and then maybe a little pullback leveling off. And I think we've hit that 5 or 10% here in the first few months. And I think we are going to level off. I think, and like we said from the jump, the core stuff is still going to have high value because there is still a shortage of supply. But the stuff out there, periphery, that's like standard product that can be replaced easily. Um, some people did overpay for that stuff. Um, that's going to be, you know, there's, they're going to be in a bit of a tighter scenario, but at least they've got a, a great rate locked in. He, he, he just unpack it a little more. I think, and I think you agree on this. The big, one of the big reasons that I don't think that our housing stock can pull back a like insane amount is it cannot be replaced for any less than it's going for. Yeah. We're like, Holy crap. These bungalows and wherever are going for 400 grand now, 500 grand, which is like out of this world, but they are 2000 square feet yeah, can't sitting, build yeah. sitting on a 7,000 square foot lot. You can't build those build those houses for that price. And yes, it's a new house versus a resale, so technically it's, it's probably worth a little bit more. But it's the idea that it's not like these massively inflated land values. I feel like we have just now paced kind of where things are with construction costs and inflation. Before we were way below. Like everyone was like, "Oh, like I bought my house for two hundred, but it's insured for four hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. And you're like, "Well, that's what it costs to rebuild this thing." Um, I even find that with the rental stock, like fully renovated rental stock, they're like, this is what it needs to be insured for. You couldn't rebuild no. what we're offering for anywhere close to what it actually ended up costing. Um, but so I think that's what helps to protect us here. Whereas again, in places like BC and in Ontario, I'm concerned because I'm like, a lot in a regular neighborhood is a million bucks. Mm-hmm. So that is inflated because you're just saying this piece of dirt, this 5,000 square feet is a million dollars. Here, your lots are still 100, 150 grand which is a bit of inflation of a value, but it's not so insane. And that's not ever going to, I think, just... If it gets yeah. any lower than that, people, there's always somebody with that amount of money to just buy those pieces of land. And so it's like a very low barrier that'll keep things going. Whereas I don't think that you have... Even though the average home is a two million and a half bucks in both of those provinces, I don't think the average person could cough up a million dollars cash to buy those, those pieces of land. And again, where we're bouncing all over the map, another thing I meant to point out earlier when you were talking about this is with rates going up and how this is going to impact everyone. Again, in BC, Ontario, most of those approvals are not income-based. They're net worth-based. And they're saying, okay, so you have a net worth that's big enough to buy this house, even though you don't really have the income to support this mortgage payment. Well, they're, <laughs> 90% of their net worth is their house. Mm-hmm. So when yeah. that goes down, like it, it doesn't make any sense. And a lot of people are using these HELOCs, like you're saying, to make their mortgage payments. Yeah. So, Oh, it's, 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 yeah. There's a host of cards there. The other thing that people need to realize though is, um, if there starts to be a decline in home values, that doesn't mean the seller is going to voluntarily just sell you the home for less than they want. No, it's going to be, not be able to Well, they may not be able to, but people are also just going to like not sell their home. Mm -hmm. Right. So we will get a further contraction of supply, which will help, you know, keep, the, uh, There'll be a sh- very short-term blip, and then everyone's going to realize that there's still a massive supply issue, and it's not going to change anything. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really think this heavy-handed approach is going to actually create any more buying opportunities for first-time home buyers or people trying to like get ahead, you know, because they're they feel like they're swimming against the stream. Like I, I'm sorry to say it, this isn't going to alleviate that pressure. Um, you know, one, they're going to be paying a higher interest rate. Two, I don't think it's going to pull um, property prices back, certainly not enough to offset that higher interest rate. And the economy is going to be bad that those same people who are like, yeah, I'm going to like, you know, time this purchase because those sellers are going to be squeezed. It's like, well, newsflash, if they're squeezed, chances are you might also be squeezed. Like what's going on in this seller's life that they've lost their job and have to sell this home? And are you immune to that? Right. So um, it, it's going to be a rough little bit. Uh, my hope is that, because um, I, I think the Bank of Canada is underestimating the implications of what they're doing. And unfortunately, the lag time is about six months. So I think there's going to be this other massive increase in June. And then by fourth quarter, they're gonna be like, oh, crap, like we're in full recession mode. And if we want to go a little bit further down the road, um, the Republicans are going to win the next election in the U.S. <laughs> 
They are, right? Because yeah. by the time all this comes to fruition, yeah. their economy is going to be in the Toast. tanker. Yeah. We're going to be in the tanker. Yeah. Um, I think there's a pretty strong chance the Conservatives will win the next federal election here in Canada. Yeah. Um, you know, so these things have big, sweeping mm-hmm. um, r- ripples through everything. Things we got to wrap changing. up. This is like the most we, craziest how, episode well, how ever. How far we? We're like an hour and somewhat into this thing, aren't we? No, I think I think we're... How far are we into this thing? We're an hour and two minutes in. We're an hour and two minutes in. We're just Holy here. Jesus. Okay, so, well, pause, 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 pause. If, just, okay. if anyone's still listening out there, we're going to have to do another episode, but we're all doom and gloom. I'm usually just the doom and gloom guy, I'd like to say. Usually it's just me coming in here freaking out. Chandler is now doom and gloom. I've converted him and I love it. <laughs> well, listen, we've been terrified of inflation since day one, and there were some times where I would leave the episode like, Man, we're so dumb. Like, we're talking about inflation. No one cares about inflation. Um, like, no one can see inflation, the ramifications. And we talk about, like, yeah, rates should probably be up. Well, shit. We're trying to be ahead of the curve. Here it is. And, you know, I even look at back at it now and say, well, I'm a dummy because um, I knew this was coming. And there were some investments and purchases I made in October that I now view very differently, <laughs> right? Because, but when there's no interest rate and money's flowing and it's cheap and it's easy... You know, you get a little loose. And you when also, you when you get used to it, you get used to it. It's like, ah, oh, I killed yep. that project. I killed that project. Everything's going. You get yep. this false sense of security and you keep doing it. But I want to, maybe on the next episode or we'll do. We really I'm going to fire some things at you real quick. Patreon, last thing. I just want to talk about. Okay. I'm just going to say, we're going to start doing some stuff about what we think is actually a smart move to make right now. Yeah. On some investments where you should be putting your money in, stuff like that. Anyways, hit me with this. Let's go. All right. Just like one sentence response. How do you feel about uh, the following news headlines? Elon buys Twitter. I think that's actually hilarious and i think it's kind of good because I, I think he'll keep it a free speech area so I, I i'm all for it um my curious thing about that is uh everyone who is maybe really concerned about that let's say people on the left who are concerned about him buying it um and the only thing he said because he hasn't really gotten the keys to the king like he hasn't done anything yet I heard all all he said is I want it to be more free speech based and people yeah. are already losing their minds. And then you have to ask yourself, like if you are in favor of less free speech, like how do you justify that? that and and, and I, don't, I think I don't, he'll do a better job than Trump's app because I think Trump's app will become more of a bigot space. Oh, and God, I think, yeah. I think that'll be the one thing that he'll try and keep in check. Man, no, no, no one's, no one's going to be out there. Like I, I'm not promoting hate speech by any stretch. However, you know, like the, hate subscribe. the, the, uh, the best way to, um, move forward in a positive way just to have discourse and interaction. And sometimes that means spirited debate where someone with a really stupid idea posts it online and everyone corrects them. And if you believe in this like utopian democratic discourse-based society, you have to allow people, even with stupid ideas, to say those ideas so then you can, you know, educate them, right? Like mm-hmm. this is, so you're either pro-free speech or, or, or not. Um, crypto getting smashed. Any hot take on that? I, I feel like I saw this coming. Like I said, I, it, when interest rates are going up and inflation's going up, people need money. They're going to take it out of the easiest place that they have and what they value the least. And most people don't have a ton of faith and confidence in their crypto, so they pull it from there. Yeah. Uh, a metaverse or a, a man bought an NFT for $2.9 million, then listed it for sale at $48 million, but the top bid was less than $280. I think that top bid was too high. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think NFTs, and I think we talked about it a bit before, I thought NFTs... The technology is smart. I think it's going to play a ton of, uh, have a ton of value in the metaverse and have a ton of value even in the real world. But I don't think selling pictures online is what NFTs are for and how they're going to make money. I think that's a big bubble. Well, I guess it already popped. But we, I think we talked about that. View, view our old NFT episode. Um, a fictosexual man is struggling with intimacy with his wife because due to a software update, she can no longer talk. So this was someone who dated a fictitious online avatar for i think eight years they eventually got married uh, but the software changed and he can no longer talk to her and he's struggling with intimacy as a result i feel for him that would <laughs> suck that would suck so bad and i don't you know what i everyone's got their thing and i know there's a ton of issues out there so i i feel for him actually in some levels of, on that sense but otherwise man you gotta get that software update fixed <laughs> Go with like a nice like Australian. You could put in like a Margot Robbie voice or something. There you go. Um, <laughs> similar vein, uh, there's a metaverse company planning to offer immortality through a live forever mode where they're essentially going to create an avatar for of you uh, for your family members to interact with you after your death. 
Yeah, I, I see all this stuff coming to play. I'm not at all surprised. I actually think it's a great idea, great business idea. I foresee a ton of people wanting to get on that. I could see myself doing that, being a self-centered freak. I would go ahead and I'd get it to follow me around and take all my data and create something out of me, and that'll live on forever. I know ever not everyone, but a lot of people want to live on forever. They really do. The Halifax modular units uh, that were created, um, kind of emergency housing for um, uh, misplaced or, or unhoused individuals are ready uh, unfortunately, though, they haven't been able to meet the staffing requirements yet for them. Yeah, I mean, in general, I, I think it was good what they tried to do. I think it was executed poorly. Um, and it just shows the inefficiencies of what takes place in, in our government offices and how much the cost can get overblown. I understand that those numbers we talk about aren't purely for housing units. A lot of that stuff is medical spaces and other things in there. But the, still, the numbers were out of this world. Uh, regarding the staffing shortages, that's a problem we're facing everywhere in all these cities. And this is where immigration comes into play. There's lots of smart people that they bring over, very educated, that can fill these positions. And I find they work a lot better in these service industries than some of our local community. I think also credit should be given to council because they did something. And that wouldn't, you can not please people all the time. People still want to hate on them. on what they said. Man, they delivered on these. Did it take longer? Absolutely. Was it way over cost? Absolutely. But there are now, you know, more housing units than existed a week ago and yeah. certainly way more than existed six months ago. And yeah. they're going to be good. They're going to be safe. They're going to be warm. They're going to have running water. They're going to have electricity and they're going to have a staff there around them. So this is a good thing. The only, oh, I'll add one more line to that. They've done this. It's, I agree with you hundred percent. They now need, I hope they're forward thinking in planning the next ones and starting them now, not once another headline and people are freaking out about it, then they just knee-jerk reaction. How about you start it now? It can be a lot lower cost. It can be done a lot better. It can be bigger, on and on and on. But that's my only thought. say it loud. We do not need affordable housing. We need public housing. Um, Switzerland. In Switzerland, they're building a 30-story wood building. That excites me. I've been seeing a lot of stuff about wood. Um, I, I don't totally get it. I've seen a lot of research on it, but wood frame buildings would be super cool. I think they'd be neat. They look good. I have some concerns regarding maintenance, but I guess if it's sealed, it, it should be fine. Leave it to Switzerland to figure stuff out, man. They're, they're great yeah. over there. Uh, last one. Uh, a woman uh, who in the past has had issues with landlords forcing her to get rid of uh, her pets has decided to marry her cat um, in order to have a better case in the future uh, to not have to get rid of her feline friend. Uh, in future rental situations. We allow pets, but if I didn't allow pets and I saw that, I think I'd still reject her, probably for even more reasons than before. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Neil's not a romantic. Um, all right. you mean? I was going to marry the computer earlier. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks everyone for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Listen, we're going to have a lot to talk about um, because the tide is turning a little bit. I think we're still big believers in purchasing. We still believe it's a strong market here. But um, our economy is going to face some challenges um, and uh, it's going to be an interesting 24 months. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, double down on everything you said. Thanks for listening. But I want to say that both Chandler and I are making a bigger effort on this and we want to get some feedback to know what would make it better. So if you actually listen to this point on, please message us or shoot us a text and just say, hey, this is what I think you guys can improve. Like, I, I know we both want to make this as best as it can be. And we don't want to lose it and turn into like we're starting to run out of headlines or we're starting to lose some excitement. We want you guys to say, okay, it'd be better when you talk about this or are more interested in these things. And we're trying yeah. to figure it out from our analytics, but it would really help if it came straight from, from your guys' mouth. So please, please, please reach out. It means a ton. Uh, but again, yeah, thanks for listening. Like, yeah. comment, subscribe. Check us out anywhere. If you know someone who might be curious to hear some of what we talked about here, I think these are important issues uh, right now. They're very timely. Lots going on. Share this with someone and say, hey, you know, you might want to listen to this here. We really appreciate it. So the economy is dead, time. but spring has sprung. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Bye. bye. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.